The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast Monday morning, bright and early. The second round is underway. Heat-Knicks rivalry renewed. The Heat, despite Jimmy Butler limping around for the last five minutes of the game, actually not even limping around, kind of standing around, take game one at the world's most famous arena. And the Nuggets... With an emphatic statement, game one win over the Suns in that series. We'll talk about those series later. But boy, oh boy, Sixers Celtics starts tonight. We'll see about Embiid. And on Sunday, season on the line. Maybe dynasty on the line, although I think that's a little premature. A little premature. Haven't haven't turned the page on Steph, Draymond, Clay, Trio, Steve Kerr, Bob Byers. Haven't turned the page on any of it quite yet. But season on the line for sure, after losing game six at home in one of the most impressive wins I can ever remember a young, inexperienced team getting in the playoffs, period. A blowout by the Kings at Chase Center with De'Aaron Fox playing with an avulsion fracture in his left index finger. The Golden State Warriors, who couldn't win a road game to save their damn lives all season long, won two in Sacramento including the hardest win to get in basketball, Game 7 on the road, Wardell Stephen Curry scored the most points that have ever been scored in a Game 7 in the history of the sport to carry the Warriors over the finish line. 50 points, 5-0 on 20 of 38 shooting, 13 of 20 on twos. Normally we talk about the threes. The twos were outrageous. And a stat that will get sort of swept under the rug a little bit, one turnover, 50 points, all that dribbling, all that driving, one turnover, all the attention drawn, 42 pick and rolls Steph Curry ran in that game. That was his second most in any game this season, according to Second Spectrum. They needed a monster Steph game. They got a monster Steph game. And now, after a little interregnum where they kind of circled each other from afar, One play-in game that the Lakers won. You know, the Lakers were up and down. The Warriors were kind of in the tank for a year. High draft picks. The rivalry that defined a half decade of NBA history. A half decade of NBA Finals. Steph Curry, LeBron James, Warriors, Lakers, Conference Semifinals. Jeff Van Gundy, the best analyst in the business. Former head coach. Future Hall of Famer was in the building at Golden One Center. And I just want your visceral Steph Curry reaction. Take off the analyst hat and just tell us how it felt to be sitting courtside watching that happen. It, it felt like he – it really was – I didn't look at like these, oh, my goodness, look at that shot or that shot. It was just very workmanlike, and it was uh, surgical. And he – like you said, he's always been a – a much underrated finisher because everybody's mesmerized by the great shooting, but he lived at the rim yesterday and uh, he was great, obviously with his finishes, a couple like big time threes as well. Oh, and they were really able to overcome Thompson and Wiggins shooting the ball so poorly. I mean, to think about how they blew them out with Thompson and Wiggins I don't know what they were, like a nine for 35 or something like that. That's uh, exactly what they were. Yeah, it's just, to me, 
it's remarkable and it speaks directly to Curry's greatness and Looney's work on the board. So yeah, it was a it was a great night for the Warriors and really disappointing for Sacramento uh, to not even be in position to win in the fourth quarter. You know, just blown out in the second half. And and another bad Jordan Poole game in a series of bad Jordan Poole games, and it, and it just didn't matter because Steph had had fifty, and. You know, within the first three and a half minutes of the game, you noted this right on the broadcast. They ran the same action three different times. Steph Looney pick and roll, knowing Sabonis is going to come up, almost trapping Curry, right? And they put Draymond Green on the right wing as an outlet for Steph, so he didn't have to make that direct kind of straight-ahead lob pass to Looney, slipping the screen. Possession one was the opening possession of the game. It was pick and roll, trap, Steph to Draymond to Looney, tic-tac-toe, dunk. Two minutes later, same play, same defensive response. Looney rolls free to the rim. Steph to Draymond to Looney. This time, Wiggins guy steps up. Looney drops it off to Wiggins, dunk. Third one was the very next possession. And this time, the Kings say, you know what? This is not working out for us. Let's play this a little bit more conservatively. Domas, maybe just like a step, a step back from the screen instead of the all-out trap. So Curry runs the pick and roll. Oh, oh, Domas, Domas isn't out here. Aborts the whole thing, gives it right back to Looney for a second pick and roll as Domas is kind of retreating, thinking, whew, withstood the first assault. Bam, Curry three. And as you put it later in the game when he made one of his just outrageous ISO step-back threes, it's the thing that only he can do. And we've just... You watch those three plays, and they look so easy and so fundamental the way the Warriors are passing the ball around, and it's not. And it all stems from the fact that you've got to guard that guy 35 feet away from the rim or you're dead. And I know you remarked about those plays. They're beautiful, simple basketball, and they came out and just bam, bam, bam. Yeah, and I think everyone knows what a good passer Green is, right? So the attention that Curry attracts, uh, how well Green passes the ball, but it's it's Looney who deserves to be in those conversations. His ability uh, to play below the rim but catch and make the right decisions makes it really hard to guard if you're going to trap Curry. So now you've got two bigs who are really experts at making the right play and keeping moving on to the next guy. And uh, like you said, they played outstanding offensive basketball to start that game, set a really good tone and just, you know, really good. And I think the Kings, you know, with some, you know, I think the Kings were up 7-2 and then they fouled Clay on a three on a baseline out of bounds. You know, those type of plays, they, they had a number of those, uh, you know, poor choices that I thought they, because of how well Sabonis played, they should have been up more than two at half and had a little bit of a cushion. Instead, they didn't, and Golden State took, you know, and Curry just took over in the second half. But uh, I just loved watching the big-to-big passing. It's just the way they do it, those two guys, Looney and Green, spectacular. Well, I wrote about Looney about a month or six weeks ago in one of my 10 Things columns, and I said, you know, the guy has been – First, as you noted on the broadcast, he was the story of his career was, is he ever going to play? Like he's the hip surgeries, the leg stuff, 
then he became like, oh, it's he's an Iron Man. He sets screens. He doesn't. He's the classic central casting unsung hero. Doesn't show up in the box score. And this year, what I wrote was, it's starting to show up in the box score, in the passing, and the rebounding. Like it's not nothing that a twenty minute a game or whatever he is center is getting you three, four, five, six assists regularly, and then the rebounds. Like I've watched those rebounds over and over again. It's like, what is what is he doing? How is he getting? Like Domas Sabonis is a big, strong dude, and Kevon Looney sometimes without inside position is just kind of like physically bearing down on him with all his weight and like almost pinning Domas to the ground so he can't jump and then going up and getting the rebound. It is like just grueling physical labor that. Is it is ten offensive rebounds in a game seven? Twenty one rebounds. I mean, they obviously don't win the series without Kevon Looney. What what a series! Yeah, he wedged Sabonis like underneath the rim with good, you know, force. You know, just and and Sabonis was caught in between this face guard blockout and a traditional blockout, but he couldn't jump. He couldn't get up off of his feet. And that's what the body contact and the wedging does. It eliminates your jumping. So Looney can't jump anyway. And Sabonis can't now defensive rebound. And to me, that's where uh, Looney was great. And, and from a Sacramento perspective, you have to have someone come in and get these engaged rebounds where two guys are locked up. You have freedom as a uh, perimeter defensive rebounder and they never could get the second and third guy in. They did such a poor job. Basically, the perimeter guys did nothing to help the rebounding game, which allowed Looney just to overpower Sabonis. And those are back-breaking type of sequences oh. where you get, you know, you get the first stop, the one possession. I think they had the first stop, the second stop, and the third stop. And then they ended up getting a fourth offensive rebound. And, backbreaking stuff and Looney like you said these people who try to underestimate his level of improvement or his rate of improvement and what he's doing just aren't watching they just typecast him as this other guy and he's not another guy he's central to their success yeah they're they're great with Draymond and Looney together obviously that starting five has been a dominant starting five I thought Steve Kerr made a smart move to go back to it to start game seven instead of messing around again with pool in the starting five, I would assume against a pretty big Lakers starting five, they're going to, they're going to keep that starting five going forward in this series. And it works because they're such good passers together. But the big thing that's really become clear in the last two seasons and big time in the last, last year's finals against Boston is when they separate green and Looney, Looney can play the green role well enough that they don't, they're not as fast and zippy with it, but they don't lose as much creativity and passing and pace in their offense as you would think going from the greatest playmaking power forward of all time, maybe, to a, a, a guy who you just said can't really jump and is not going to win any 50-yard dashes or anything. But if they play four out and him is the only rim runner, like they, they get the same kind of stuff done. That's been the revelation of the last couple of years with Looney. Yeah, he's in no way the weakness. He's a, an absolute strength of their team. Now, for so many ways, the, the ability to, when necessary, switch and guard 
you know, pick and rolls, uh, the ability to play some some drop coverage. Uh, he can move his feet, he rebounds, he passes, and the smart, tough plays. You know, the, he's he's unafraid of the contact plays, which is you know, rebounding in traffic, screening, you know, putting his body on the line to protect the rim when he's not a shot blocker. So uh, those contact plays he's willing to make. Uh, are essential to what they do. And as you mentioned, going forward with the Lakers, a much bigger team who will guard the Warriors and, and particularly Green and Looney much differently. You know, you'll see, you saw how Sacramento, uh, Mike Brown's experience was we need to pressure them. Uh, and that has its strengths and its drawbacks. And the Lakers will play just the opposite. They're going to plug just like uh, Looney played Sabonis. You're going to see the Lakers play them that way, where they're going to drop back, clog the lane. And then, you know, the the Golden State Warriors' response will be more pick and rolls because, you know, you just can't be in a drop coverage against Curry. He's too good. You can't. And, and you're right that I think on all the off-ball stuff the Warriors run, the Lakers are going to try and top lock it and send all those guys away from the pin-down screens and to the rim where Anthony Davis is going to be waiting and my God, Coach, I mean, I don't say this lightly because Anthony Davis has been in the league a long time now, and he's been a Defensive Player of the Year candidate for almost a decade. I don't know that he's ever played defense better than he has in the last four or five games against Memphis. I mean, he is absolutely everywhere all the time, and the timing on these blocks is so exquisite. He's never early. He's never off balance. He's never late. And you could see by the end of the series, the Grizzlies were like, I mean, forget the 40-point blowout. Even before that game got out of hand, they just didn't know what to do anymore once they got below the foul line because this guy is just everywhere blocking every shot. Um, I want to stick with the Warriors-Kings for just a minute. Just obviously an all-time game from Curry forestalled a lot of tough decisions for the Warriors in the offseason, forestalled a lot of talk that to me was going to be bogus about well, did they kind of get lucky last year? Like, what's the difference between last year's team that won the championship and this year's team that, you know, was at risk of falling in the first round? And now they live to fight another day. And I think the more momentum they get, the more stability they get in their rotation, the more dangerous they are going to get. And I think the league should be a little bit scared that they got by the Kings and the Kings kind of, you know, coughed up a really good chance to win that series. Um, but, you know... Such is life. It happens. I want. What, how do you come away from this? Um, from the King's perspective, what do you? What do you think? What What did the King? Because you you mentioned disappointing, and they did end up fulfilling this whole idea that they were going to be a vulnerable top three seed that was going to be an underdog in the first round, and they were, and they lost. There's obviously going to be disappointment among their fans to go in and win that game six in Chase to keep their season alive, and then lose at home. How how do you come out feeling about them? I was very impressed. First of all, I'd never been to the arena. Great place. Um, obviously, they've always had good fans when they've had a respectable team. I, I thought they played with a lot of poise. Murray, as a as a rookie, really impressed me with his not only his shooting; it's obviously good, but his his poise. I think they have to. Uh, I think the rebounding and maybe some of their uh, 
lack of physicality needs to be addressed in the offseason. But what they've done from a talent standpoint, I thought Fox obviously had a such a great year, and I really admired how he played through the finger, which I thought really sort of hampered some of his uh, ball handling and led to some, you know, turnovers that maybe we wouldn't have seen. But I, but the way they added, you know, Monk, Herder, Murray in the offseason really upgraded their talent. And I was impressed. I was impressed with how hard they played. Uh, again, they got whipped last night in the second half. It happens. But I don't think it detracts in the least from what they were able to accomplish this year. Continuing to move forward is the challenge and always the harder part. Everybody thinks it's a straight line and, oh, they were third seed. Now they'll go, you know, they'll get some better players, you know, improve their roster. Then they're going to go to set. It does. It, it's, it's hard. It's hard to keep going. It's easy to go from bad to mediocre. Mediocre to good is, is not that hard, but where they were this year, 48 wins into a true championship caliber team, that's hard because hard decisions have to be made and then they have to be the right ones. I also came away really, really impressed. And it it could just be as simple as De'Aaron Fox shot 5 of 19 in Game 7 with 5 turnovers. I think he was 9 of 25 in Game 6 and they won. Uh, maybe that was Game 5, I can't remember. Um if he doesn't have the finger injury, maybe this we're doing an entirely different podcast about, oh my God, are the Warriors going to try and trade Jordan Poole to get under the second apron or to decrease their tax bill? What happens with Draymond's player option? Instead, we're having this conversation. Maybe it's that simple. I thought, honestly, the thing I came away most impressed with was their defense. They they held the Warriors to 111 points per 100 possessions in, in the series, which would have been like a bottom 10 offense in the regular season. This is the Warriors. This is the playoff Warriors that are not messing around playing their back-of-the-rotation guys. Their ferocity and precision on all the pretty Warriors split actions, off-ball, this and that, they switched when they should have switched. When they when the Warriors would slip screens, the Kings would read that, say, okay, we can't switch this one, we got to stay home. They fought like hell to get over screens. Sabonis moved his feet at the point of attack almost to the end better than I thought he could have managed. I can't, And that's... That's the tough stuff, right? That's the hard stuff. To get into the playoffs after this feel-good 48-win season and have to do that seven times in a row against an offense that doesn't play like any other offense in the NBA and a superstar that doesn't play like any other superstar in the history of the NBA. And they largely did well enough defensively to win the series. They lost the series because their offense kind of fell in mud a little bit. Sabonis didn't have great series. Herder was pretty cold until... Game six, and I was happy for him that he got off a little bit in game six. And overall, though, I think you're right that development is never linear, right? They're, they're not guaranteed to win 48 games next year. The West, is, the West is a beast. Every year, the West is a beast. But I do think the Fox Sabonis and shooting thing on offense is legit. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to be the number one offense again in the NBA next year. But I think as a regular season wins machine, that offense is a monster and it's going to continue to be a monster. The piece that's interesting to me, it just feels like the Harrison Barnes thing has now run its course there. Like he was a good stabilizing small ball for very valuable member of their team as they kind of made this ascent. 
and he just couldn't impact this series the way they needed him to. He didn't make open threes. The Warriors were, were pretty okay letting him take open non-corner threes. The free throw stuff that he's been much better at kind of disappeared. And it I don't know what you do. I mean, he's a free agent, and, and I don't know. Like, if you let him walk, they have some cap flexibility, but not that much. Maybe there's a sign and trade. Maybe you sign him with the idea of trading him later. But that feels like a place where you as a team at this stage have to be able to make a tough decision of even if we end up moving on from him in a way that is like a small step back in the present, but gets us some stuff, some draft picks, whatever it ends up being, cap flexibility that turns into draft picks that we can use down the line in a move that kind of better fits the timetable of our team. That feels like the right decision to make at this point as much as it would hurt and as valuable as a presence he'd been in that locker room. That's the name. That's the name I would watch in the offseason. But other than that, I think what they built is real. I think they're going to be a strong team for a long time. And that Fox Sabonis combo is is a bear on offense. Yeah, and I think they're gonna it's gonna be interesting to watch next year if more teams try to emulate what the Warriors did to them. Uh on the some bonus catches above the free throw line, you know, just to drop in the lane and try to congest. And they, I thought they, in the first half, they got some really good looks. Again, it, it's, it's hard because oh. the, the playoffs are like a different season. And I thought the Kings held up exceptionally well, like you, the game six win, they were, Tremendous. Their level of aggression, their force. Fox didn't play particularly well early, and then he got you know going. But Monk was a great addition. He had a big time game, and again, I think their overall size. They're, they're pretty small uh, at times, and but they have a lot of good pieces, and I think they've done a really good job with their roster. But all these choices are hard, and. We've seen it like with Dallas, right? If you make one one that doesn't go your way, it impacts your next decision, which may or may not, you know, help to correct what you just lost or, uh, you know, continue to have a, a lessening impact on your on your roster. So tough decisions, but they should be very very proud of what they accomplished this year. They they did a really good job with their roster. And their play and their defense is going to have to be better in the regular season next year if they're to make a jump. And it was it was very good in the series. Poor Dallas Mavericks, by the way. All they're hoping is like, can everyone just kind of let us be for a little while? Oh, God, Jalen Brunson's team advanced. Okay, but Jalen Brunson's team lost game one. Maybe nobody will talk about the Mavs and Jalen Brunson. And poor, poor Mavs, here we go. Last thing on Curry. You know, I mentioned those three plays that they ran early in the game. And you on the broadcast said something that I was sneaking in my head, which was they just got to stop guarding Draymond out there on those plays and have his guy in the paint to just clog up Looney. And then my brain said, okay, dumb brain, you've said this to yourself over and over again, and you know what happens if the defense does that. Steph just gives the ball to Draymond and takes a dribble handoff and hits a three. And like that's just the dilemma of playing this guy and playing this shooter and playing this playmaker, is there just no, when you help in the paint, 
they beat you in other ways. When you when you don't help in the paint, they beat you in this way. And by the way, the guy who didn't touch the ball, literally didn't touch it on any of those trips, is a top five shooter in the history of the NBA, Clay Thompson. <laughs> like he's not even touching the ball because he's so impactful not touching the ball. Just just an all time performance by Curry. And now we get what's what's really um an incredible second round series. Before we move on to that, I'm obligated to ask you as somebody who picked the Bucks myself to win the NBA championship and my preseason pick. People misinterpreted this last week when I said I picked the Bucks and the Clippers to make the finals. I did not do that before the playoffs. I'm not that dumb to pick the Clippers without Paul George to make the finals. That's my August September prediction, and I stuck with the Bucks the whole way. What was your I haven't heard you talk about that. What was your reaction watching watching that happen? talking about Milwaukee now yeah Milwaukee losing to Miami and the way they lost the last two games of the series yeah well first of all uh, condolences to the Budenholzer family I I can't even imagine what he was going through uh at that time um I, I think Miami and Butler uh like obviously were tremendous I think even you saw last night Lowry like he can have a, still a huge impact from a competitive nature, love with the ability to put his body in front of people, make enough shots, uh, resurrecting uh, Duncan Robinson and Strew. So they had this great combination. They were playing off a great player in Jimmy Butler and then Lowry's competitiveness and then their three-point shooting, that combination – along with the Giannis injury. It's, it's, it's interesting to me how at times people just say, oh, yeah, uh, the best player on their team was hurt and missed a couple games. Well, last year was the same thing with Middleton. You know, they, they lose in seven games to the Celtics and they don't have Middleton. In this series, they didn't have Giannis. And, and, and I just want to take a step back. It's also one of the negatives of the play-in unintended consequences you had Miami Heat lose to the Atlanta Hawks so they should have been a seventh seed and play the Celtics in the opening round but because they lose to the Hawks they're called the eighth seed but they're really the seventh seed and it goes to where to me if if you want to have the play in for the bottom teams I'm so excited I'm so excited for you to say this I'm so excited keep going shouldn't be impacted negatively so Boston should have had their choice, like of who they wanted to play. Yes, Atlanta can be in and 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 make it in the playoffs. And then the, you know Miami beat Chicago uh, in a really close game at home. So they lost to Atlanta at home, beat Chicago, but Chicago was up late. I think Boston then should have the choice between... You mean Milwaukee. You, know, you mean Milwaukee uh, is the number one seed. Milwaukee should have the choice between... I'm sorry. Between playing Atlanta or or Boston. I, I Hallelujah. Think Hallelujah. I don't, underst- I don't understand why... I just have never heard a compelling argument, particularly... The, this was always a fun thing to think about pre-play-in, but with the play-in now, it seems like an obvious thing that you should do the fair and obvious thing. And I've never heard a compelling argument for why it's a bad idea. I just haven't. And there's two things on that. There's two things to me, the play in and now this play, uh, the, the in season tournament 
to me have shown is that there's going to be, it's not going to be a traditional NBA schedule anymore. So let's count the stats from the play in games as playoff stats. Like there's no reason that those stats just go up in the ether and they're, they're not recognized anywhere. That's ridiculous. You can't find them. You can barely find them. No, it's ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense. And they're just being stubborn. And secondly, if you're going to be open and ha- to like this play in and, and you want everybody to get behind it, well, the people who have honored and respected the regular season and done well in the regular season should never be negatively impacted by a lesser team's losing in the play in. So, Milwaukee, it makes no sense that, and this is not to say Atlanta isn't, you know, isn't a good team. I'm not saying that. And and by the way, Atlanta showed me something those last four games against Boston. They really did. Exactly. So, but it should be the Bucs choice. So anyway, the Bucs to me, you know, were hurt by injury and they were hurt because of Butler playing so so well which you know it you know set up everybody else and i know that this is what happens all the time when you have this disappointing loss uh to what was the seventh seed basically the overreaction is is swift and immediate okay they've got to get rid of the coach the and i love that like get rid of the coach uh because Giannis shot 10 for 23 from the free throw line? Really? They they were 28 for 45 from the free throw line in that game five? You know, like, it, it's just people never want to look at the at really what has happened. They always want to overreact. Like, there's no way back. If I was to tell you that Pat Riley and Greg Popovich, two of the iconic coaches in the NBA, lost eight times as a higher seed to a lower seed. And Pat Riley lost to, I think, as uh, he, he lost to a six seed, maybe twice to a seven seed, to an eight yeah, seed. Someone, someone, someone I know was coaching some of those teams. Yeah, but Pat not, but not all. Not, not all. I'm just no. saying it, the idea that you can't rebound and come back and, and, and regroup, I think is wrong. Like Giannis said something like, you know, he, he got criticized for his take on, was it a successful season or disappointing or a failure? And I think two things can be true simultaneously. It was absolutely a disappointing end. And yet there's no reason that they can't come back, regroup, add some things, maybe take away some others. But like this is a, a dominant team where they just went through a, a tough injury, a bad opponent to have to play unfortunate unintended consequence of the play-in and Butler playing so well, matching directly to how they don't want to, you know, Butler loves to come off against a drop where he can get into the mid-range. That's where they excel. Um, And terrible free-throw shooting. Like, ridiculous. And that is a combination for an upset right there, and they had it, and uh, they had their chances. You know, I don't think anybody was calling for the breakup of the the Bucks when they were up 16 going into the fourth of game five, but they were had the same type of lead 
in game four. It's, you know, we wait to see the result, and then we sometimes, to me, completely overreact. We'll see what the offseason holds for Milwaukee. Um, I'm still kind of stunned by the degree of collapse, but um, I just wanted to get your take on it because I know we both had them winning the whole thing, and now we have a Heat Knicks <laughs> series instead. Um, it's, um, and it shows you, though, just like you said, how it opens up. Think about it. Now, Miami or New York's going to the Eastern Conference Finals. The, yeah. Boston will never have, never have, and I don't want to say easy, but a more direct line to win in a championship. Embiid out, which we'll is see. Doubt, he, he's doubtful, right? So we we're, we're it's nine thirty in the morning. We'll see, but yeah, Embiid out, or let's just make up a scenario where Embiid misses the first two games, plays the next whatever, but he's he's eighty percent. That should be a win for Boston. No, that should. And again, nothing's guaranteed. We just saw it with Milwaukee and uh, Miami. All right, so nothing's guaranteed. But you're never going to have a better path for Boston. Milwaukee out, Embiid hurt. So their path to the final is straightforward. Where they're clearly, clearly, to me, the best team left with the Embiid injury factored in. I, it's They've got to take care of business, and it just shows you how you know things open up. And I would also say – I, I, I'm fascinated by when a big upset takes place, should the top next top seeds be able to decide who they play too? That's a little bit more problematic, I would think. But I think it, it bears reasonable discussion. Discussion. Yeah, that that's a little more problematic. And I, I have to think more about it. It's That's a more dramatic sea change to how – how the NBA works. Obviously other leagues have done that. And we're not going to talk about much about Boston Philly because it's, it's the early game tonight and we don't know about Embiid quite yet, but I, I did not like the way Boston closed that series against Atlanta. Even the last game that they pulled away and won with some great offensive play and some great shot making. I thought they were still sloppy and careless in ways that make me a little bit concerned um, in ways that kind of gave me flashbacks to how they would just sort of, piss away possessions with kind of aimless play um, against the the Bucks and then the Heat and then the Warriors, obviously, last year in the playoffs. But I agree with you. They have they they have all the pieces they need, and the road is there for them. The Blake Griffin minutes in in um, game five against the Hawks were just never explained to me. I, I don't remember ever being so surprised by – like suddenly Blake Griffin was in the game, and even the announcers on TV were like, well, Joe Mazzullo wants to see – like if you can give him something against Embiid in the next round, I was like the next round. This is a close game. What are they doing? I just it was never explained to me. But I do agree with you. It's it's there for him. Brown has been really good shot making wise. The handle's been hit or miss. I think this is going to be a bigger Rob Williams series than the first round was when his minutes kind of went up and down and up and down. Uh, but it's just like we're not talking about that series today. All you got, all you're hoping for is somehow the basketball and health gods come together to get Joel Embiid right fast because, uh, you know, I, it's obviously a whole different series with him. And you just want to see one year where he's intact for the entire playoffs because even against the Nets, which feels like a month ago, when his scoring and shot attempts were down because of the way they were guarding him, 
he was still the single most important presence in the series by an exponential amount over everybody else and just was so utterly dominant on both ends of the floor, ending with the block on Dinwiddie to clinch the series. Okay, enough. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Lakers Warriors, I got to say our bosses have got to be just beside themselves that this is a second round series that we're getting. Um, the, the Lakers dispatch the Grizzlies, the Warriors, as we said, tip over the Kings. Um, two teams that were uh, two of the top 10 defensive teams after the trade deadline, two of the top five net rating teams after the trade deadline when obviously the Lakers remade their offense. Uh, we have... The worst free throw team in the league, offense and defense combined, and the Warriors, a team that doesn't get to the line and fouls everybody, against the best free throw team in the league on both ends, That a team that damn near led the league in both free throw rate on offense and defense. So that's step one for the Warriors, is don't start every game down 10-0 because of free throws. Um, I think this is a, an absolutely fascinating matchup. Um, both teams start kind of like quote-unquote big lineups, the Wiggins-Draymond-Looney trio, the Vanderbilt-LeBron-Davis trio. Both teams have quote-unquote slightly smaller lineups that they often close games with. Uh, That's obviously Draymond at center in various permutations for the Warriors. For the Lakers, that's three guards of some kind, LeBron and Anthony Davis. I think both teams, when you look at the matchups, are going to be comfortable shape-shifting. I don't think either team is in matchup trouble against either big or small permutation of the other team. I think it, it it's going to test some players, but I think both teams are prepared and have good matchups for those lineups. And I just, I can't wait to see what the matchups are. I can't wait to see if LeBron can kind of exert his will as a, as a chess master a little bit more than he had to and was willing to in the first round. Cause I think he is going to have to. Um, and the Lakers go from facing a team with very little shooting and a bad half-court offense to a team that is going to stretch them out and make them cover more ground than they had to cover against the Grizzlies. And the series, if I'm going to zoom in, if I'm going to start drilling down from any point, 
for me, it's Anthony Davis. If if he's neck and neck with Curry as the best player in the series on both ends of the floor, particularly defense where he's going to have to, if he's on Draymond, if Draymond's at center and he's on Draymond, he's going to have to come up and get back, come up and get back. If he's on Looney, he's going to have a little more freedom to, to roam around. Um, and I think he'll start games on Looney. Um, I, I think if he's defensively dominant, and does enough on offense, like when they switch, can he can he punish Wiggins if they switch to LeBron AD pick and roll? Can he punish Wiggins a little bit in the post? Um, he's the he to me is the tent pole of the series. What are your sort of initial treetops, as they say, thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I'm I, looking forward to seeing how uh, and who matches up with who. I would say Vanderbilt most likely would try to guard Curry right off the bat. I think that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I I have it penciled in a different way. Sell sell me on that because I worry. I'm not selling you because I don't know if I believe it. It, it, it. I was off the Terrence Davis. I didn't like that matchup from the start the other night on Curry. You you have to you you have to have like such great discipline and the ability to not be frustrated when he scores even when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like that's the telltale sign of a guy who can guard these great players is you don't try to make it up the next time because you got scored on the last two times doing it the right way. And so anyway, I I see it as a like Vanderbilt to start in their normal starting lineup. Uh, Maybe Reeves. I, I don't really see that. Um, Interesting. I ha- I have Reeves, and I think it's going to be Reeves. But I but why don't what what's your what's your? I like the link on Curry, and I like that I'm not worried about uh, early aggressive foul trouble by Vanderbilt. Like I'm not worried about that. I think Reeves has become so important that on the offensive end that it would be harder for them to survive intermittent uh, minutes by Reeves due to foul trouble. And then I, I love, uh, and I know Schroeder's up and down offensively. I love his tenacity, his uh, speed and quickness, uh, and his ability to navigate screens. To me, that he'll be the guy who is charged with that type of, you know, because you're not going to put D'Angelo Russell on him. D'Angelo oh, Russell, God, no. you know, will guard one or the other, probably Wiggins. Play. I would suspect. Oh, um, I have a, I, I put my in, uh, assumption for the Lakers. I don't to, know who's going to guard. My know. assumption, my, and I don't know that I'm right. I'm just guessing. My assumption is Reeves on Curry, Russell on Clay, which scares the hell out of me. LeBron on Wiggins, just because I don't want him chasing Clay around, but maybe I do. Vanderbilt on Draymond and Anthony Davis on Looney. The reason why I like your, I, I thought about Vanderbilt on Curry. I just. That scares me a little bit in terms of chasing the off-ball stuff. Morant, when they put him on point guards, it's often guys who are so, like, I can go under screens on Morant and just sort of be big and behind the play. I, I'm i sure we'll see it, and Vanderbilt has guarded Clay in some, in some past matchups between the two teams. I just got a little nervous and penciled in Reeves, but you know, look, there's I, no... hey, listen, I, I don't care who, which five you assign to him. Like you'd still be nervous. So oh, you're yeah. nervous like with Curry and, but you, you know, and you can't take away everything from a, a great player, but you do have to take away something. And I think that's what Sacramento didn't do 
to me, the his living in the lane, like you can't give him layups and threes. Like that's just not it's not a workable situation. He's always been an underrated finisher. And the one play that stood out to me, Davis fouled him on a little on a drive where Green was Terrence Davis. Yeah, Terrence Davis. And and you know, Curry made it. And Harrison Barnes like didn't shut off the driving gap when he was guarding Green at the top of the key. To me, those are the mistakes you can't make. If you're gonna help off someone, and this is where I think the Lakers, and this is why I'd want James on one of the two bigs is I know he may not be able to move like he once did, but he's going to know who's most dangerous at any particular point in time. And I think that's absolutely critical to trying to take away something from Curry. Like, and it's got to be the paint, like the step back. Sometimes there's little you can do. It's just, does it go in or not? As you always, as you always say, Mark Jackson says, what are you going to do? And there's always a beat and you say, lose, lose. That's That's what you do. On those, like, if, if a guy's going to, like, there's only so much you can do. And so, um, and, and that's why I do like Schroeder's competitiveness and his quickness. And they have many more answers than they did previous to the trade deadline. Um, and, and the Russell, who Russell guards, like, I'm not sure if it's if it's Clay or Wiggins, depending on how they want to go. But I do think, you know, his offensive spurtability is important to them and so he's got to find someone he feels comfortable with uh where he can make sure he's you know he stays in the game because he is important offensively to him to your point on lebron if you go back and watch tape of the last two seasons of these teams playing against each other and there's not much of it that's relevant because so many guys have been out including this year they played three times in a three-week span in February and March and Wiggins was out twice Curry was out twice LeBron was out either two or three of them Uh, but LeBron guards Looney quite a bit and I'm assuming when the Lakers go smaller and it's like Reeves, Schroeder, Russell, LeBron, Davis that's that's what we'll see and Davis will go on to Draymond Green if Draymond is also on the floor it's Draymond and Looney um and I agree with you that's a good that's a good way to a make sure LeBron doesn't work very hard and b put him in good help position because he is 6'8 and very smart and puts the fear of God into everybody still when they go to the rim against him and that will never change until he retires whenever whenever that is um and yeah, I, I think the matchups on the other end, I I have just sort of tentatively, I assume Wiggins will start on LeBron and Draymond on Vanderbilt so he can kind of roam around and screw things up, which puts Looney on Davis. But we'll see a lot of Draymond on LeBron um, when the when the Warriors go smaller. Uh, well, I mean, when the Warriors go smaller, I'll have to guard Anthony Davis, but we'll see him on, on LeBron some too. Um I'm interested also in when the when the Warriors put Draymond at center. Who Anthony Davis guards? Do you want him on Draymond, or if there's a Gary Payton the second, Moses Moody? If there's a because they don't play that pool party lineup much anymore, where they have the five really good offensive players out there at the same time. If you can't pool, it, can you put? I thought the Kings maybe should have put Sabonis on those guys a little bit more than they did, 
and take him away from the point of attack or force the Warriors to use those guys at the point of attack. And GP2 is a good screener. That works for them. I, I do wonder if we'll see Anthony Davis on those guys a little bit. Maybe he can roam around. But I, don't, I, there's, I think this is going to be a really fun, interesting series. And, a, and a, test, a test on defense for some of the Lakers guys who are coming off this so, sort of physical, grimy. The Grizzlies have very little shooting, particularly with Kennard missing the last game. It's a big test for D'Lo to me because I agree with you. Schroeder is a big, big part of this series for the Lakers because of the way he chases. He was great on Morant too. And a guy like Hachimura, who's been really, really good in the playoffs for them, but now is going to have to f- defend perimeter players a lot when it's him and Braun and AD as, as he takes that Vanderbilt spot and they're big and they have Hachimura, LeBron, and Davis, which is a trio that has been lights out for them. He's going to have to chase these guys around, and that's a big, big test for him. I'm curious to see how guys like that handle this series. I think this is a really even series. I haven't seen the Vegas odds. I don't know who I would pick, but I think it's going to be a really good series. Yeah, all those are are interesting questions. Hachimura, really. And you know what? There's so little, like you mentioned before, from the regular season. There's just so much. The sample size is so small that thinking that – you know, there are def- definitive answers. There aren't, you know, can Hachimura do it? We'll see. It's the most valuable uh, phrase in uh, sports. We'll see. Because, like, that is the truth. And if they want to win, he'll be able to use his size and strength to advantage against smaller Warrior players and not have it be a, a detriment at the defensive end. Likewise, for the Warriors – you know, they've got to use their speed and quickness and not get overpowered by him. So it's they're really differently constructed teams. I think uh, Rob Palink and his staff deserve a lot of credit for what they were able to do in saving the, the Lakers season. And I think for the Warriors, I'm going to be interested if Kaminga gets dusted off. Bingo. Not, you know, because they're, they're going to treat Kaminga like they treat Green – and they're going to stay in the lane like they'll treat Gary Payton. You know, they're just not going to extend on those guys. And uh, I'm, I'm just interested to see about the choices. And as we've seen, like, you know, the Grizzlies, one thing about the Grizzlies, because of all of their uh, nonsensical talk, um, <laughs> overshadows some things like, you know, Stephen Adams is a huge part of that series. Huge huge with his screen setting and Davis has to be more concerned instead of coming over there to block as many because Adams is the best offensive rebounder in the league. And then you have Clark as well. So their top two centers were out. I I think people overlook those injuries because of, like I said, the focus in the media was just on, you know, uh, Dylan Brooks and, and all that. And, before that, the month before that, you know, the Morant situation. So to me, I think the Grizzlies season, just like we were talking previous about the Bucks, it was derailed. Not that they couldn't have beaten the Lakers in the first round, but to me, that would have been an upset. When they lost their top two centers, it really reduced any chance they had to advance. So this situation is different. I'll be interested to see if Davis – you know, like you said, does he play against Green so he's not in the physical 
brute battle against uh, Looney so he can roam a little bit more, or do they start him on Looney? I, I, I'm, I'm, that's why I think they play Vanderbilt on Curry because it puts James against Looney, allows Davis not to be locked in into a physical matchup, and maybe uses shot blocking uh, to better to you know better their defensive efforts. And the the series is going to feel. I'm not saying easier or harder. It's going to feel a lot different. I think for Golden State coming, this is going to feel like a slow series. Them. I know the Lakers want to run and played with a, a pace equivalent to Sacramento, but I don't think they're going to be as relentless running, 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 running. And in that, and then they don't have what's really hurt the Warriors all year and why they foul so much is the straight line drive guys just blow by them. And the Lakers don't like Delo's not that kind of player. Reeves isn't quite that kind of player. He's more pick and roll. LeBron is not that quite LeBron is LeBron, but he's not just like a, a Malik Monk blow by people kind of guy. And I think LeBron's going to have to sort of get in the time machine and go back to the 2016, 17, 18, 15 finals and play his little hunting game with Curry and say, you know, I'm going to try to generate a good matchup and get them in rotation and see what happens after that, which has always been, it's always been great theater. I think I would lean, I think I would lean Warriors in seven, just pick, pick the home court team. I think this is an interesting matchup for them. I think they have a lot of, I think both teams have a lot of answers for each other. It helps that the Lakers are a very low turnover forcing team on defense. So if the Warriors just don't do ludicrous things, they should get shots up, which is like step one for them is get shots up because they do so many ludicrous things. I think I'd pick Warriors in seven. I don't know if you have a feel yet. Yeah. I I always think about the Warriors, right? When they are – sometimes the, the most explosive team that you can hope to watch. And then they're perplexing at the same time at, with their reckless passing foul decisions and shots. So those three areas, the shot selection, the passing decisions, and the fouling uh, decisions are always critical for them because if they can manage those like they did so well in game seven – they play with an advantage because of their great shooting. But if they negate those advantages with reckless play, I think it gives, you know, James and the Lakers a better opportunity. And I, I think James has not been at the basket nearly as much. Um, he hasn't been at the free throw line nearly as much. And I don't know if it's possible, but he he has to at least – be in the half court in this attacking, driving mindset to collapse the defense and give opportunities for his teammates. I don't think they can have the James version from the Memphis series and beat, you know, this outstanding Warriors team. I I totally agree. Um, And it's one of the reasons I would pick Warriors in seven. I just, you know, I, I, does he bring that version of himself you're talking about every single game? Maybe he does. I mean, it's LeBron James. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement – 
Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Heat Knicks. Let's do a few minutes on Heat Knicks. Um, the Heat win game one. No Julius Randle, which is which is a big deal. I think they're going to need him sooner rather than later. He changes the whole series in lots of different ways. Um, you know, a lot of this series is the Heat trying to hunt Jalen Brunson a little bit on defense and Jalen Brunson trying to find good matchups. A lot of cross-matching in this series, Coach. It's not the sexiest thing to talk about, but Jalen Brunson is guarding Struess to open games, and if he gets that matchup, he's just going right at him. If Duncan Robinson's on the floor, he's finding him and going right at him. And Jimmy Butler, a lot of those leakouts that he got on the touchdown passes from Kevin Love are because of cross-matches. He's guarding Brunson, and they don't want Brunson guarding him, and he knew. It was clearly part of the scouting report. He started leaking out like when shots were in the air or not even like about to be taken because he knows they're going to try to crisscross and find me and I'm going to get good matchups. And then, of course, he sprained his ankle. So we're waiting. We're waiting on that. Um, other than flashbacks to the late 90s, what was your uh, uh, initial take on game one? Well, I thought the Knicks, uh, they, they just didn't play well enough. Uh, particularly in the things that are correctable. Three leakouts by Love. I mean, you can't get – you can't allow people behind you with, without floor balance necessary. I mean, that's just step one to any good defense is floor balance. So I think they need to correct that. If you went back and charted how many times they left their feet on shot fakes – Obi Toppin is still jumping like now, like as he gets up for practice. <laughs> kind of like, like Grayson Allen is still, still Euro stepping across the, the streets of Milwaukee somewhere. Three, two, two, yeah. one and a half, one and two, one and a quarter. And and I like I think Toppin's played so much better. Um for I think he actually helps them offensively. It didn't reflect yesterday as much, but I think in many ways they can play better offensively with Toppin than with Randall. I don't I don't um, think I don't think that's going to sound like a hot take and I actually don't think it is because of the spacing and the speed with which they play. Yeah, I mean to, I mean to me it's I don't I'm not trying to make a hot take. I'm just I just I know you're not. It's he's just 
He gives them transition ability. Uh, he'll run harder and more frequently, and he'll shoot the three, and he doesn't hesitate. But that being said, the number of shot fakes they went for yesterday that led to then open shots or fouls, you can't be putting Jimmy Butler to the free throw line 11 times, and you can't bite on Kevin Love's shot fake. So they need – those are the two basic ones. And then I think, you know, Brunson uh, was – just okay yesterday. I, I think they need to – they can't shoot, okay? So they're, they're starting wings with Hart and Barrett. They – you know, they're just, that's not their strength. They're, they're not a three-point shooting team. So they need their four-man and their one-man and then Grimes to come in if he's – to still come off the bench. And they, they need to shoot the three well. The, the discrepancy from a shooting standpoint um, – is hard to overcome. And so uh, when Brunson goes over seven yesterday, coupled with, you know, Barrett and Hearts, that's not their strength. Then it becomes very, very difficult, uh, particularly with as many good three point shooters as the Heat play. And I don't know, just like I was saying about uh, Toppin, the hero injury is interesting for Miami in that he's a talented offensive player and they may be better defensively when they're not playing him 35 minutes a game because of uh, people can't just go at it. I've heard from a number of executives around the league saying, I don't think the Heat missed Tyler Hero as much as people thought they were going to miss Tyler Hero for that exact reason. I do think it's interesting that the longer they advance, the more he's just going to recede from memory as like what a big deal his injury apparently was and is um, just to put that in perspective. So they, they closed, uh, I think both have last night, yesterday afternoon with a lineup of Gabe Vincent and Kyle Lowry together. So both the point guards, Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin and Bam Adebayo. That lineup played nine minutes in game one, nine minutes, seven minutes in the entire regular season. That's the degree to which the heat are scrambling to just find bodies at this point, a lineup that won them the game played more in that game than it did in the 90 combined games or whatever regular season play in playoffs be before that. Um, and, and it was just a, a gutty win. I agree. The Knicks just weren't, just weren't sharp enough. Um, the fact that they didn't go at Butler at the end of the game when he couldn't move and they had possessions where he was like on Jalen Brunson switched onto Jalen Brunson and they just went away from it. Like R.J. Barrett dribbled one of them and just dribbled the ball off his foot. I'm like, this guy can't move. And Jalen Brunson, he's got Jim Butler on him. Go, go at him. It's also a tribute to like how much respect teams have for Jimmy Butler. I was going to say, I'm not so sure Butler would have. Like, I maybe they should have. I, I I didn't see the last uh, three minutes, but maybe they should have. But the one thing I would say is, I also have no doubt that Butler would not have allowed himself to be taken advantage of either and and Kyle Lowry to your point no his strips like just a nuisance the biggest play of the game for Miami and for New York Mitchell Robinson gets a, a rebound with I, I'm gonna say six or seven uh brings it down Lowry pokes it away it leads to a hoop then RJ Barrett goes down well, the it was it was a Gabe Vincent three where Gabe Vincent fell over and wanted a four-point play that it was like four and a half minutes left I know exactly what I'm talking about. he just poked it right out of Mitchell Robinson's hand and you're just like 
classic Kyle Lowry just being a pain in the ass. Right. And then uh, Barrett goes down. I'm not sure if it was the exact next possession, but very close. Driving to his left, Lowry strips it. And then, you know, the Knicks had a third turnover in there. And so to me, Lowry's never going to, you know, he's not going to go up above you to, to make a play, but you can't be exposing the ball to him. Like he will, he will stand in front. He will take a charge. He will strip the ball down low and you have to be on high alert at all times. And Gabe Vincent went through some, you know, huge shooting struggles at times, you know, this year. And for him to be, you know, this good and playing these huge minutes is a testament to his work and their belief in him. Um, And I I just, I've been so impressed with Vincent, how he's been able to, you know, navigate a rocky regular season and and play so very well. And, And Lowry looks like, you know, he may be done and now he's back to, you know, he's not playing huge minutes, but he's impactful in the minutes he, he has. And it, it reminds me once again, and should remind everybody once again, great, great competitors are hard to find. They may be cranky and irascible and, and at times in the regular season, difficult to deal with. But when you come to the playoffs, if you don't have great competitors, you got no chance. Kyle Lowry's a great, great competitor. And when I watch him, like there's so many things he doesn't still have but he does have great instincts, great intelligence, and great competitive spirit. And it's a pleasure to watch him compete. And to that point, a big stretch of that game to me was the second quarter when Butler went out for his rest. The Heat more than treaded water in those minutes. And they, the Knicks made some defensive mistakes. They left Caleb Martin open for a three. Obi Toppin helped and he shouldn't have. They lost Haywood Highsmith on a backdoor cut. I think that was Barrett. And Lowry was orchestrating a lot of those, and he was orchestrating a lot late in the game when Jimmy was hurt. And hopefully Jimmy's healthy. The the Knicks cannot lose those minutes when Jimmy Butler rests. They need to win those minutes. The Heat should not be able to score as easily as they did at times um, in those minutes. And By the way, Spo and his staff are just so sharp. So you'll notice they did this against Milwaukee too. If their offense is like guard-guard screens, so Bam, who's usually the centerpiece of their screening game, has to do something else if he's not the screener. What they've done more and more is, all right, so if if it's like Jimmy Struess or whatever on, on one side of the floor in the middle, they'll put Bam all the way over on the opposite sideline, and the thought process appears to be, A, we get the big man out of the way for the Knicks, but B, if that guard-guard pick and roll puts them in rotation we can then drive and kick to him as a second outlet and his guy's going to be helping inside and he becomes Draymond Green in those spots where, okay, my guy's not on me. I have it. They have a handoff shooter ready to go. It's just really smart little things that the Heat just do to maximize like the limited personnel that they have left. And, and Randall, just real quickly, he's important to me in this series despite what we all just said about his his, you know, the Knicks offense looking pretty good without him because... I think the Heat might have to invert the matchup so Bam would have to guard him out of out of respect to his sort of bully ball driving game and what does that do for Mitchell Robinson maybe on on the glass. And it just also gives the Knicks, like smart teams when they play the Heat, they'll get Bam to switch on a pick and roll and just then park his guy out on the perimeter. So Bam's now just guarding 
whoever 30 feet from the basket totally out of the play because he switched one pick. Well, right now that's switching on to Jalen Brunson, and that's bad for the Knicks. Like They don't want Jalen Brunson out of the play. They want him in the play. Randall gives them an alternate source of offense where if you take Bam away from the rim, you have another place you can go to sort of get offense one-on-one. I think they're going to need him to win this series, but man, the Heat... I, I don't, I, I'm the heat are just, they're no fun. They're just no fun to play against. Just totally fearless, maniacal, like Spo said, just really, really gutsy team. Yeah, they are. And, and, and quite frankly, they've got better shooting than the Knicks. You know, the Knicks three point shooting has been uh, a very weak point the entire year. And so, you know, their four spot Randall shot the, the amount, the volume Randall shot, now the volume that Toppin shoots is important. You know, Randall had a terrific regular season, terrific. And for whatever reason, both times in the playoffs, two years ago against Atlanta, in the first round against Cleveland, he is not he has not produced or been, you know, he hasn't played well. And so if it's Randall – Efficient Randall, I would agree that he's important to this series. But if it's inefficient, uh, distracted Julius Randall, then I I think they could still win without him. It would be harder, obviously, but they could. And uh, I think they showed that in uh, in the Cleveland series that they can play and win without him. Yeah, and to the, to your point about the shooting, I mean, you see that's what the Heat are doing. Like they're they're just not going to let Jalen Brunson get comfortable one on one. Now he can be comfortable eighteen feet from the rim at at spots where a lot of people aren't comfortable, just sort of pivoting around for mid rangers. But they're just going to swarm him and say, "Okay, Josh Hart, beat us. Obi Toppin, take eleven threes, eleven threes. Well, but if they're not corner threes, we just don't really care that much." Yeah. It was interesting. I, I don't know what they call it on ESPN, but they had the coach, you know, they had Eric, Mike, they went to some of his at a timeout, which is great TV sometimes. Uh, and I just, I would hate it if I was Eric. You know, he, he was saying, we don't understand who they are. Like, they are an attacking paint team. Like, and I think that's what they did. Like, they they know the the Knicks have this inherent shooting weakness and i think if you're if you're in new york the question you're pondering is do we go back to heart off the bench start with grimes to try to give us more three-point shooting initially in games so that brunson has more room and there's only mitchell robinson uh in the dunker spot and barrett who they will be as likely to help off of or, or does Hart's defense negate the, the need to sort of flip and go back to their original starting lineup. I, I think it's a, you know, it's these tough decisions that coaches always have to make and you hope you're right. Or do you use Hart as a ball screener more? Does that does that help mitigate the spacing? I don't know because you, then you got your two bigs elsewhere. Particularly if they think Jimmy is limited and they're kind of less scared of him going bananas. Maybe you do put Grimes. I, that that's that's interesting. Um, is this is are you enjoying all the flashbacks? 
all the all the clips of you from the '90s in this series? You know, it's unfortunate. Like for me, like I, I I say it every time I'm asked about it. It's temporary insanity. I don't remember a whole lot about going out there, and uh, <laughs> I look like a fool. And uh, you know, by by the goodness of uh, morning, he didn't end my life there. So. I'll always be appreciative of that. But I think when when I reflect back and I see it brings back great memories for me because being associated with such great competitors, you know, so much of the game has changed and nothing has changed as far as what wins and what loses. You know, you've got to get, you know, more better shots than your opponents, right? So that's that's it's never changing. And great defense and limiting your turnovers and winning the rebounding battle and the, the the same things win. Now the type of shots that may be considered good or not good have have definitely changed. But I, it, it it makes me always reflect back when I see those uh, you know those clips. Is that what what someone couldn't have been more blessed to have been uh, a coach of the Knicks at that time? because we had all-time great competitors. I, I look back and I see, you know, Larry Johnson and Oakley and Ewing and Starks and Ward, Harper and all those guys. And I'm like, man, no one's ever been luckier than me when it comes to coaching. And that's what I reflect back on. You know, I don't really reflect on the fight, although, you know, I, I did look like a fool, but I, I, I do reflect back on um, so often just, you know, how grateful I am to have been part of that. That four-year competition with the Heat playing to the last game, four straight years um, in the playoffs uh, was truly – it started out with great animosity, the, those series, and I think what it morphed into was by the end of that four years, incredible respect for the opponent because – you know how much they were putting into it. You know how well they were coached. Um, and so it was disdain turned into great respect. And and for that, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. Okay, so when it was disdain, who did you disdain the most? Who was the member of the Heat where you just like looked at their face and you're like, I can't want to beat that guy so bad? Well, the guy we feared the most uh, – it was hard to to have. I didn't have like an individual disdain. I had a group disdain for like them. But Tim Hardaway was. I don't. I don't think people realize pre knee injury what Tim Hardaway was with uh, Run TMC, but even how great he was. I think he was All NBA first team with Miami uh, one year, if I'm not mistaken, and he was literally just such a hard guy to guard um pick and roll in transition you know people talk about the killer crossover but it was his total like fearlessness to shoot the three um out of the pick and roll he would have lived with the less in contact and the more space he would have loved playing in this era he, he was just absolutely a phenomenal player. So I don't know if disdain for him would have been the right word, but it, it certainly 
uh, he was one that gave you extreme headaches trying to figure out how you wanted to guard him. First team All-NBA 1997, second team All-NBA 1998, second team All-NBA 1999, which is, of course, the year of the Allen Houston shot, which I had forgotten, Coach, was followed by a 40-foot buzzer-beating heave by Terry Porter that you were so enraged about that you that, that this is the legend of I, I haven't seen a clip of this. You go out and yell at the ref because even though you're just team your team just won the game, you're mad. You thought he, he couldn't have done all that he did in 0.8 seconds. It's 0.8 seconds, and there's no replay at that time. And the year before, we had a, a shot disallowed in Miami to win a regular season game. And so I knew, you know, there was hijinks with the clock there. You know, like there's a lot of stuff, you know, that, you know, you could write a, a – you could do a 30 for 30 on that four-year period of the regular season games and the playoff <laughs> game. And so – and so now think about this. And they were going to count this good. Terry Porter caught it, dribbled it, and shot it with 0.8 on the clock. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. So, so people said, oh, I was trying to, in some Nick book, somebody tried to say I was trying to re- uh, like get you know, something for the next round. I'm like, no, I was just upset that this was idiotic and they were going to count the basket because you can't catch dribble and shoot and your team won the game just go out and celebrate yeah i you know yeah that that's probably would have been the better response but my anger took over okay initial thoughts on suns nuggets nuggets win game one what'd you see that the nuggets because they had that bad stretch down the end of the regular season for some reason, they're as underestimated as any number one seed could possibly ever be. I, I think if you took the three other teams in the West that are still playing, I would say a majority of people would say the winner of the West is going to come from those three teams and not Denver. And I think Denver, like – I think they have a well-constructed roster. I think Michael Malone has narrowed down who he wants to play. I'm a little worried about, you know, what they're getting off the bench. Uh, and do they have enough defense when either Gordon or Contavious Caldwell-Pope goes to the bench? But Aaron Gordon, to me, has narrowed his game so much uh, – more and has accepted that if I cut and if I move and if I run, I'm going to get rewarded. I don't have to try to do crazy things with the ball. And I think that's the value of Jokic. I mean, they are completely unselfish. They know exactly who they are and what they do best. And I think they're one of the most underestimated one seats I can remember. Yeah, the story of game one to me, was Denver's defense because that this was the test. This was the test for Jokic. This was the test for their scheme. This was the test that everyone, including me, was worried about because you know you can't drop on the Suns. Though they did against Chris Paul a little bit, which I thought was smart because if I can get them to overuse Chris Paul at the expense of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, that's a win for me. Chris Paul might go crazy for a quarter, but that's still a win for me. And I think that happened in game one. Durant 
Only 14 pick and rolls and six is the screener. That's not enough. Those are low numbers for him. Underutilized, I thought, a little bit. But Jokic went up to the level of the screen and the rotations behind him were like on point. And even Jokic was on point. And the timing, if you go back and watch those plays, like he's up at the level and you freeze it and it's like two on the ball with Durant handling it or Booker handling it and a four on three behind it. And if you freeze it, it looks bad for Denver. Like, oh my God, there's going to be pass, pass, pass. And then you unfreeze it and they retreat in precise, exact timing with Durant picking up his dribble and Aiton rolling to like the timing is so that no one is open for too long. No one is overcommitted. I do think Aiton needs to set better picks. His picks in game one were not making enough contact. And you, oh, can you I can, just jump in there? Can I just yeah. jump in there? It's the difference between like regular season screen where everybody is slipping out. Right. And it, it sounds good. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You got to have a big, like, we're, uh, you'll get open, but we're trying to get Durant. We're trying to get you Booker more space. Right. I thought that was the same thing with the centers for the Knicks. Like, if I went back, everybody's slipping out. No, you got to hit these dudes to get Brunson enough separation to have a chance to create what you want to instead of slipping out. So I agree with you and I agree with the four on three. And I think that's why, because you, it, you have to have that up to the level pick and roll scheme in and Denver's done it. You know, they've, they've used it and you have to be able to use it in the playoffs. Just like we saw with Sacramento, when you're going against the very elite, you have to have that. You don't have to do it to everybody or every game or every possession, but you have to have that in your arsenal. And I, I agree with you. I thought Denver handled themselves exceptionally well defensively, and they got the benefit. I think Aaron Gordon was three for three from three. So Made the open you know, threes that they're going to give him. Yeah, their three-point differential was so great in that game. It was hard to overcome, particularly because Phoenix doesn't get to the free throw line a whole lot either. There was a play in the third quarter where it was a Durant Aiton pick and roll on the left wing. And the, and the first one, KD didn't like what he saw, pulled it out. They like the rotations were on point, he didn't like it. So let's run it again. Durant didn't even dribble once. Just slipped it to Aiton. So Aiton catches the ball in a 4 on 3, but he's 22 feet from the rim. And the Nuggets are like, "We don't think you can beat us making plays in that level of space." And they stepped up on him. I think Torrey Craig was in the dunker spot. They stepped up on Aiton. Bruce Brown slid down from Chris Paul to account for Torrey Craig in the dunker spot. Aiton swung it out to Chris Paul. Bruce Brown, like a like a freaking bullet, closed on Chris Paul. Chris Paul pumped, beat him off the dribble. Okay, that's fine. Like, we've got you. We're in rotation, but we've taken away the easiest stuff for you. We're going to make you drive and kick and pass. Chris Paul drops it off to Aiton, who has like a 16-foot floater. And misses it. And to me, that's a win for Denver to force to get into a four on three and rotate with that kind of precision. They rotated like when Tory Craig or a Kogi, and I thought starting a Kogi was it was an interesting move. It's it's something I talked about in my preview. Will they start a Kogi to guard Jamal Murray? When they were in the strong side corner, Denver dispensed with the usual rules of help defense and were like, We're helping off the strong side corner. We don't care. And they were on point. And the other guy we got to talk about. 
is Murray. What a playoffs for Jamal Murray. And you could tell right from this game one of this series, the beauty of Jokic and Murray is if you have a favorable big man matchup, you can post Jokic 20 times a game and run your offense out of that. If you don't, and there's really no bad matchup for Jokic, but Aiton guards him pretty well in the post. Okay, let's recalibrate our offense. We'll we'll shift all of it to Murray-Jokic pick and roll. Jokic had seven post touches in game one. That's very low for him. Set 27 ball screens. That was the sixth highest of the year. And Murray, he's he is he's not the forgotten man in that pick and roll partnership because everyone's a bubble Murray, bubble Murray. I think people don't give his level of craft and smarts and timing enough respect. So if you just watch some of those plays, like his hesitation dribble, and then he'll boom, accelerate, like in this little weird 12 foot away from the rim spot. And that little acceleration will get Aiton to slide over an extra foot. will get Jokic a catch eight feet from the basket instead of 14 feet from the basket. And the floater is open. He's just, he is like a really artistic player who, that two-man game just has like infinite variety to it. It's beautiful to watch, and he has been an absolute monster in this series and in one game and in the whole playoffs. And I'm, I think it starts even before that with Murray. Jokic's unselfishness. Okay, so you have a, uh, a two-time MVP who may win it this year or may not, and he's fine with two things, not posting up, a lot of guys at that level will be like, no, I can, I can, I'm great against everybody. So just give me the ball. That level of unselfishness permeates the entire team. And then after game one, and and Murray had this brilliant game, he goes and he just slides it in there. Yeah, he's our best player. Like, can you imagine what that does for your team when you're the best player in the league for two years in a row or the most valuable? And maybe a third just slide, you know, just says, you know, and we're following our best player. And he does this with his teammates all the time. He's he's an absolute giver. He takes blame and he takes no credit. You, you just don't see that. You just don't see that. And I think like the tone that sets and it gives Murray the freedom to know that he's not going to be second guessed by this guy. For, for doing too much or trying to, you know, as you said, uh, be artistic. I mean, Murray's a great offensive player. And, you know, that he's not being constrained at all by, oh, if I shot too many times as the ball needs to get back to Jokic, you know, instead I'm going to do the half Steve Smith spin, Dirk Nowitzki one leg, you know, fade away. I'm like, what? A, what a combo you just busted out, by the way. Yeah. Like, like, like people shouldn't just gloss over that. You're saying Jamal Murray can combine the Smitty and the one-legged step back. Was, like, think was, about the skill level for a six-one, six-two, whatever he is, point guard to do that. Right, and and I, I mean, he's like, he is an offensive force who has unfortunately been hurt, um, and and now like he also has this guy who's encouraging him to do it, go like, don't worry about me. I'll, I'll get mine. Like believe like Jokic is one of those guys. I truly believe, you know, everybody says it because we've, as we force him to say it, 
All I care about is winning. And we know if if 99% of the league was to uh, uh, up to a lie detector test, the dot, dot, dot would be if I get my way, right? I really believe Jokic is the 1% who you could end the statement, all I care about is winning. And it, and and that's the truth. And Does, my uh, and my horses in, yeah, in Sombor, Serbia. Yeah, and it's Serbian horses. And, but I think he wants to – that doesn't mean he doesn't have pride in his game. He obviously – you don't reach that level without tremendous pride and confidence. But I think he just – like, I don't think it's – I think it's it's one of the great factors in why Murray is able to to play well, come back from a major knee. Why Aaron Gordon has played exceptionally well. Like I think he helps everybody else, and I think the guy he has to help right now is the r- rookie Christian. I know it's pronounced Brown, but it's Braun to me because that's how it's spelled. Um, he's got to play, I think, well. Like you know, he's got to find his way. I like him. He's tough. He's active, but I think he's going to face I'm not being guarded type of defense as well. Going he's forward. also they threw him on Durant a few times in game one. I was like, oh, oh boy. Like, and you wonder if they're just going to have to attach Gordon to Durant, match the minutes almost exactly. But they've found something with this bench with, with Gordon and Jeff Green kind of at the center spot, which is something I talked about with Adam Morris of DNVR Sports in the middle of the season. I thought that they should go to that. And Brown is both Browns. Are, are a big part of that. Porter, they sometimes do this super lineup with Jokic on the bench. Like, all right, we need Murray and Porter. Come on, we need everybody. And Porter's getting them buckets. They found something with that. The Suns countered by going with Durant at the five, which I thought was interesting and something that they should they should continue to explore there. This game, too, is going to be a lot of fun because, look, even if Denver wins, you shouldn't overreact till the road team wins a series, right? Like, Phoenix will be going home. But it's hard to beat a great team four times in five games. I mean, the, the Warriors, the Warriors just did it. So it's it's. But but this is a different a different level of team. So this is going to be a really interesting game tonight. Um, and uh, Jeff Van Gundy, just just can't thank you enough. The analysis is on the broadcast. Everywhere else is is there just there's just nobody doing it like you. So the combination of humor and just just catching stuff right, like. Like there was one possession in that Kings Warriors game. I can't remember which team it was, but they switched up the matchups. They had some like someone was guarding somebody else, and you pointed it out just immediately. And it's just it's the stuff. It's the guts of the game, and you're pointing it out in a way that's accessible for fans. It's really it's really just tremendous work. So I appreciate you coming on. No problem. Have a good rest of the day, guys. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.